Gracious God, you are the source of our life and you are the source of rebirth. We pray that you strike us alive with your grace this morning. These things we pray in the name of Jesus Christ, who lives and reigns with you in the Holy Spirit. Amen. So today we continue our series, Surprise, on the book of Acts. All about finding God in all sorts of surprising places and in surprising people. And today's text, again, begins with a surprise. Though not the good kind of surprise we become accustomed to in the book of Acts. Because today's text begins with a surprise death. A surprise death that rocks an entire community. So today we zoom into this port city on the Mediterranean called Joppa. And here in Joppa it says, there's a disciple, a follower of Jesus, named Tabitha, which is her Hebrew name. But we're also given her Greek name, which is Dorcas, which the kids always laugh at. And, you know. <laughs> but both of these names... Both of these names mean gazelle. And it sounds like, if you say, this is my kid gazelle, it sounds like one of those new agey names that kind of sounds awesome to parents, but then the grandparents cringe every time they have to say it at the playground. <laughs> this is my grandson, gazelle. <laughs> but the name fits her energy level. Gazelle, a.k.a. Tabitha, a.k.a. Dorcas, it says, is devoted to good works and acts of charity. The old King James puts it a little bit more poetically by describing her as full of good works. You think full to the brim. Kindness and generosity seem to pour out of her. She's filled with God's grace and God's life and God's spirit. And the natural outcome of this has been gratitude. Gratitude manifested in loving service, service of God, and service of her neighbors. Later on, we discover that she herself is poor, and she spends much of her time making clothes for people who don't have any clothes. Incidentally, there are still modern-day Dorcas societies over... I, mean, I was just... <laughs> no, anyway. Um, <laughs> I was thinking more Comic-Con, but any, no, anyway. Um, modern-day Dorcas societies throughout the world devoted to... Uh, clothing people and meeting their basic needs. So it goes to show that we'll never actually know how our good works will reverberate through history because we're still talking about this woman uh, today. The surprise comes, though, when Tabitha, a.k.a. Dorcas, a.k.a. Gazelle, leaps her last day. She becomes ill, it says, and she dies. We're not really sure how, and we're not really sure why. It's a surprise, though. It's out of nowhere. And a death is bad enough, but this death is really bad for everybody around her. Because this is a community of widows. This is a community whose husbands have died, so the only option they've found is actually living together in community. 
And because they're all destitute, they have to depend on each other simply to get by every day. And Dorcas is this fixture. She's a kind of irreplaceable person who immediately leaves a huge hole in skill and energy and leadership. So without Dorcas, they're actually in deep and they're in trouble. So this death is actually not only the death of one person, but it's kind of the death that hangs over a whole household. Here, death hangs over everyone involved on account of this one single death, because it could mean death for everybody. And this is something that we've actually talked about, death hanging over us, something we've talked about throughout the Easter season and in the book of Acts. In the Bible, the New Testament especially, death isn't something that just happens to individuals. Death is not only physical, but it's also spiritual. It's a power. It's a force at work in the world, and one that holds humanity and all creation captive. Fear of death leads to violence when we try to escape it, and it leads to despair in the face of it. So in symbolic terms, it's not just Tabitha Dorcas Gazelle who's died. The power of death has come out of nowhere and it's invaded this home. It's invaded this home and it's taken a beautiful life of loving kindness away and crushed a whole community. Here death takes down this gazelle like a stealthy lion leaving the rest of the herd just to see who's up next. Now this can all sound very ancient and superstitious to us modern enlightened people, but death still operates for us in the same way, even if we don't name it or acknowledge it. I mean, poverty is an affliction whereby all your life and energy is put into simple keeping, simply keeping yourself alive. That's the deal with Dorcas community. They're already at the end of their tether, on the edge of the cliff, just holding on. And we see countless lives like this in our soup kitchen, in our drop-in, and even in our pews together as a community. But we could also extend this further outward into all afflicted areas of modern life. This week, I couldn't help but connect the figure of Dorcas to another inspiring disciple of Jesus who's died, John Vanier. Vanier, who died this last week, is most famous for his hand in helping found the L'Arche community, a worldwide community of people living with people with intellectual, physical, and developmental disabilities. They actually have, there's quite a thriving L'Arche community in the Comox Valley. I live a few doors down, actually, from one of their houses. Vanier was the founder of L'Arche, one of the founders. And in Vanier's 1995 CBC Massey lecture, he spoke about the epidemic of loneliness in Western culture. I mean, that's like, you know, that's like 15 years ago. No, wait, that's like, that's like 25 years ago. Oh, man. Oh, getting old. Um. But in this lecture, he addressed the need for love and community 
as the antidote for loneliness, and he uses biblical language in this Massey lecture. To be lonely, he says, to be lonely is to feel unwanted and unloved and therefore unlovable. Loneliness, he says, loneliness is a taste of death. Loneliness is a taste of death. No wonder some people who are desperately lonely lose themselves in mental illness or violence to forget the inner pain. Loneliness is a taste of death, he says. That's that biblical language. In our loneliness, we know something of the terror of ultimate aloneness, to be alone forever and for good. And it's no mistake that in various parts of the Bible, especially in the Psalms, abandoned by and alienation from other human beings is described as being deep in the pit of Sheol. Sheol being this place of shadow existence after death. Kind of like the Greek Hades. This is Old Testament. Loneliness is a taste of death. But it's also not the only item on the existential menu that contains this ingredients. It's not the only thing. Addiction is an enslavement to death. It's a taste of death. Where we can't help but serve the very drives that are actually destroying us. Then there's the vice of greed, which comes from a sense of scarcity, where we try to accumulate as much as we can in order to buffer ourselves from suffering as best as we can. And eventually, I mean, the whole point of accumulating things is so we can avoid death as long as we can. That's a taste of death, too. And depression, too, at its worst, is when death argues inside of us its case more persuasively than life. Depression, too, is a taste of death, and that's why it's so terrible. Now, the power of death takes many forms. But it's what invades this community of widows in our text. And it takes up residence in all of our houses at one time or another, no matter who we are. And it often comes, like in our scripture passage, without warning. And it takes us by surprise. But as surprising as this whole episode is, there is, of course, an even bigger surprise in store. These women are desperate for something. But Dorcas is dead, it says. Dorcas is dead, which unfortunately is not something that can be treated with a pill. There's no product to buy, there's no medical professional to consult other than the coroner. They're out of options. So they, like so many desperate people, turn to alternative medicine, you could say, for help. They must have heard that a local faith healer was nearby, a faith healer named Peter. 
If you remember a few weeks ago, Peter's the ringleader. He's the spokesman now for the Jesus movement. And one of the hallmarks of the Jesus movement in the book of Acts is healing the sick, which has given them a reputation. So when their friend Dorcas dies, these widows reach out to Peter. And if you've ever had a loved one who's terminal, you'll probably know what desperation will do. It drives us to try all sorts of different things that we never would have in the first place. Here there's no other option, so let's try the faith healer. And you know, according to the story, it apparently works. Because when Peter arrives, he follows the widows upstairs to the room where Dorcas' body lay. The widows weep, clutching the old items of clothing that she made. Peter assesses the situation, and then he has all the widows leave the room. And I mean, this doesn't sound like any other faith healer, like televangelists you see on the TV, which is, stand up, I'll push you down, and you'll raise back to life. But this is quiet. This is alone in a bedroom. And Peter simply kneels down. He prays. We don't know what he prays, but we don't know what he says to God. But we know what he says to Dorcas, which is simply, get up. Get up. Again, the King James is more poetic. Tabitha, arise, he says. But get up. Arise. And those words are enough. She sort of blinks, her eyes focus, and there's Peter standing there over her. You know, she doesn't know how long she's been out for. So like any woman waking up to the sight of a strange bearded man alone in her room, she's startled. So she sits right up. Then he lifts her out of bed, gently leads her downstairs to her friends, and soon news spreads throughout the town And it says, people believed in the Lord. I mean, the local news headline probably read something like, Gazelle, bounds back, you know. Winning over converts left and right. But here the chains of death are shattered and new life is given yet another day. I mean, it's not a resurrection because Tabitha Dorcas isn't around with us like you know, like the movie Highlander or something, but she's healed and lives another day, all on account of a simple prayer and a simple few words. Get up. Arise. Or as another commentator puts it, and I think that I like this one best, rise up. You know, you picture people protesting and have their fists in the air. Rise up. And this is, of course, a healing story. A woman who is dead is brought back to life. The body is healed. But it's more than that. There's a depth to it. It's a story of the life-giving, healing power of the message of Jesus. A message that somehow accomplishes the very work that it proclaims. These words, get up, 
Arise, rise up. All of them echo Jesus' resurrection. When Peter speaks these words, they aren't a sort of encouragement for Dorcas to try harder to get out of bed, you know. If you've ever tried speaking to a dead body and saying, get up, there's actually no way for it to happen. She's dead. But Peter invokes Easter with his words. Words that Christ uses to penetrate the gray cloud of death that hangs over her community, with God's life-giving spirit to pull her back to light again and to dispel the clouds, at least for a little while. These simple words carry that power. Get up, arise, rise up. And they're meant for us, too. They're meant for us, too. We who have tried every method there is to try to beat death back. But when you're dealing with death, the only weapon that works is resurrection. God's power for life that raised Jesus from the dead. It's a weapon that's aimed not at our enemies, but one that's aimed at our own hearts. And it gets there through our ears. These are the words that are able to plow into the graves of our own lives. Not to tell us to try harder, do better, fix a little here, fix a little there, and everything will be okay. But to rise up. After all, like Tabitha, Dorcas, Gazelle, we're dead. Metaphorically, of course. It's death we're dealing with. But as Robert Capon once said, he said that Jesus did not come to reward the rewardable, to improve the improvable, to correct the correctable, but Jesus came to raise the dead. Not only one day in the future, but here and now. Me, you, us all, all of creation. Rise up. These are the words that Christ uses to bust down our prison walls. To reach in and rescue us from our deathly captivities. Rise up. This is the word that brought the church into being. Rise up. This is the word that makes big lives of loving grace like Dorcas's possible. And it's also the same word that renders all our little deaths Null and void. Because it's the same word that created the universe and continues to create it, meaning that it can recreate us from the bottom up. It can recreate us from the bottom up. So the question is, brothers and sisters, where has death paid you a visit? Where in your life are you in need of this surprising healing powered by God's grace? That's the question. Where has death paid you a visit? 
That's the question. But here's the promise of the gospel. Christ is already at work raising you on this side of the grave. Christ is already at work raising you on this side of the grave. You don't have to wait. Christ is raising you on this side of the grave. So rise up. You who are dead in your loneliness, rise up. Today Christ reaches his hand down in love to you in the form of the church, the body of Christ. The gazelles, formerly known as dead. Rise up, you who are shackled to death in addiction. Rise up. Today, Christ shifts your burden from your own shoulders to his to help you carry your cross. It's not over. And rise up, you who are buried in suffering, sadness, poverty, and hatred. Rise up because today, Christ pours out his heart for you. Christ, whose generosity overwhelms all greed and in love, dives deep down deep enough to rescue you from all your failures and despair. Wherever death has paid you a visit, rise up. Rise up, each and every one of you, because in the words of Paul in his letter to the Ephesians, by his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in our trespasses. Because it is by grace we have been saved. So, get up. Get up and live. Run and share this good news with all who believe that life is over. Because Christ is risen, death has been thrown down for good, and grace has been lifted up for all time for all of us to see and live in its light. Like gazelles, rise up and run. In Jesus' name, amen.